Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it finally stopped raining. Um, you know, my yard's turning into a mud bog with the poodles, and I, I'm kind of looking forward to it drying up a little bit, maybe not having to stop and clean 12 pairs of paws or, you know, 12. 12 paws, I guess it's six pairs, <laughs> as they come in the door with a towel, uh, quite quite the process. Um, but, you know, of course, this is also the time of the year the Corps of Engineers decides to start filling uh, Fernridge Reservoir, so I'm sure that the, that the boaters out there are rooting for more rain at least through the month of February or so to get, get the uh, lake full and the docks floated and all that good stuff. Um, but... Yeah, I could use a couple of days without rain. It's been raining pretty good here in Oregon. Uh, here it kind of snowed pretty good in the northeast. Um, so some of that rain moved moved uh, east and turned to frozen stuff over the, the week. But, you know, we're not here to do weather. We're here to do a talk show. And one of the things about the Bose Nose Show is you can always take me off topic just by calling in. At 646-721-9887, just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the show. You're not just one of the folks that calls in and listens on their phone. So it's 646-721-9887, just press 1. And, uh, you know, we had a nice show last week talking with Susan Foster about fracking, and it kind of kept us off local politics and some other stuff for uh, a whole you know, a couple weeks there, uh, although it was relative to something the city of Eugene did. But I need to get back on local issues here a little bit, and particularly the state and how we're dealing with COVID. And that's, you know, I'm going to, you know, imitate my best Bill London here, and I'm going to go on a bit of a rant because I, I've kind of finally had it up to here. You know, with the with the uh, state's complete lack of using science and data to drive their decision-making processes around how they're trying to prevent the spread of COVID and how they're trying to distribute the vaccines for COVID. It seems like I could not have invented a less scientific way than how our state has been doing both things. It, I mean... We have 12 months now we've been in this COVID emergency in, in the United States and in Oregon. We have 12 months worth of mortality data. Who dies more frequently from COVID based on demographics than, than anybody else? We understand that really well. And you know what? It's by age. The older you are, the greater the chance you're going to die of COVID-19 if you get it. And then there's some other co-factors we can look at, you know, some various, you know, diseases and comorbidities that can be involved. And we, we can even look at it 
by some of the racial demographics where we're seeing higher death rates in certain um, demographics. And I hate using the term racial because we really only one race with the human race. I should just say by, by various demographics. Um, and that's, you know, not an abnormal thing. You know, there's certain um, diseases that seem to be prevalent in certain minority populations uh, that, and, and, and part of it's just poverty driving some of that higher prevalence and higher death rates. Um, and things that go with poverty, poor nutrition, other poor health conditions that are, you know, coexisting. So we have all this data, yet our state has, you know, and, and we have data on where the cases are being transmitted to. And it just doesn't seem like the state is looking at the data when they're making decisions. Let's start out with the vaccines. We all know the older you are, the greater your chance of dying. And we all heard over and over again how the past administration's, quote, mishandling of COVID was causing people to die and how horrible that was and how much they demonized the administration supposedly for, for the unnecessary deaths. So if we know that seniors are more likely to die. Why in the world is a 30 year old educator getting a vaccine ahead of an 80 year old senior? Are we, you know, is, does that make our governor and OHA responsible for any deaths of a senior beyond the date where they started giving teachers vaccines ahead of seniors? Because we know from the data, seniors are the ones that are going to pass away, not the 30-year-old teacher. We also know that there hasn't been a very strong tie of, of transmission from student to teacher you know, from the data, from the places where schools were left open. And we've even seen places that have horrible COVID numbers compared to Oregon. You know, Oregon's got very low case count per 100,000, very low death rate per 100,000 compared to the rest of the country. But New York State, horrible, and they were reopening schools. And they started doing it before the vaccines came out. And they didn't get all their teachers vaccinated first. So you have to ask the question, why teachers? Is it because the Oregon Education Association contributed huge amounts of money to our governor and Democrats in this state and has a very strong control over them. Is that why they got moved to the head of the line? Ahead of seniors? I mean, I know all sorts of seniors in this county that have not even gotten scheduled for a shot, let alone gotten one. Yet I'm hearing all sorts of educators that are getting the shots. It's not a very good optical thing when you see some young 30-year-old woman, you know, tats on her arms and all that stuff that's got her sleeve rolled up at 4J getting a shot. And that's the news story. I mean, it's great. I appreciate the fact that, you know, we should be vaccinating everybody. But because there's a limited supply and it's rolling out slowly, it should be driven by who needs the most protection first. And our seniors and our compromised folks with compromised health that, that has been shown over the last 12 months that they're more likely to be hospitalized, to take up that critical hospital bed, more likely to have to be put on a ventilator and take up a ventilator, and more likely to pass away. Those should be the people that are getting the vaccine first, but not in the state of Oregon. If you're the member of a powerful union, you get the vaccine ahead of a senior who's more likely to die. Frankly, if I was an educator, I'd be refusing my vaccine right now until the seniors cohort had been completed. So we're not using data and science 
and how we're distributing vaccines. You know, it would make so much sense because, you know, one of the things they worry about reopening schools, although there's multi-generational households and the kid's going to bring COVID home and infect grandpa, grandpa's going to, well, if you vaccinate grandpa, you don't have to worry about that. I don't know where the governor's getting their, their ideas. And, you know, Lane County, we're trying our best. Our public health folks, since the start of this, this COVID emergency, and by the way, we went into an emergency operation setting well before a lot of other places did and have been dealing with this with, you know, extra help over time. You know, our folks that are, are on salary and exempt, you know, are working incredible hours, really working hard to keep control of the disease, keep it tracked, try and keep people safe, get these vaccines out. Well, we don't know till Thursday afternoon, like at five o'clock or Friday morning at like nine, how many vaccine doses we're going to get for the following week. So we basically have Friday to figure out how we're going to distribute the vaccines we, we are allowed to have. And at the same time, the number of vaccines comes with who we're allowed to give them to at that time. So even though the state has advertised starting on Monday, 80 year olds are gonna be eligible for the vaccine. We have no idea as of today, whether we're even gonna be given vaccines for that population. So how in the world are we supposed to be starting to communicate with the 80-year-old-plus population about where to go and when they can get their vaccines? Well, we don't even know if we're going to have them. You know, our next dump of vaccines that they promise, that they communicate to us on Thursday night or Friday morning could be purely for the educators. We don't know till then. So, you know, KVAL ran a story about how seniors are confused and frustrated. So are we. Get it together, OHA and the governor. You know, let us know further in advance how many doses we're going to have. Let us know who we're allowed to vaccinate so we can make those communications. You know, you've told the world that 80-plus is going to be eligible starting Monday. We don't even know if we're going to be able to vaccinate any of them starting Monday. I'd be frustrated. And then you hear about counties like Lincoln County that actually started vaccinating seniors. Why? Because OHA started distributing vaccine with the restriction that it was supposed to go to, to medical providers and all that in, in phase 1A, group, you know, group 1, 2, and you know, I'm working our way down that. You know, seniors aren't until group 1B, phase 1B, but they distributed it by population to county instead of thinking about which counties might actually have more medical providers as a percentage of their population than others. And when you look at Lane County with regional medical facilities like Peace Health and Mackenzie Willamette Hospital, and then localized medical facilities like Peace Harbor in Florence, and we've got the Veterans Clinic, and we've got all the practices that surround all of that, we have a huge number of medical providers. Well, we hadn't worked through that phase 1A group one group of medical providers when Lincoln County had managed to go through all theirs and were able to start vaccinating other groups. Well, then, you know, suddenly that dawned on the Oregon Health Authority that they kind of had screwed the pooch on that one. I'm glad we're on the internet instead of live radio. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they, as they had done that, so they decide to redistribute vaccines this last week and they, you know, announce publicly that they're taking vaccines away from some counties and giving them to other counties, you know, more urban counties. Well, that translates to those rural folks thinking that oh, here we go again, urban-rural divide, we're moving everything, you know, Portland gets everything type stuff. Well, that wasn't exactly true because Marion County had 
a, a significant number of vaccines taken away from them because they don't really have the percentage of medical personnel that Lane County and Multnomah County have, uh, yeah, and Washington County and a few others because of the medical facilities located in those counties. OHSU in Portland, think about it. Um, you know, but they didn't explain it really well. So people were going nuts and getting mad at counties like Lane and Multnomah because we were suddenly getting their, quote, allocation. Well, if OHA had thought about what they were doing in the first place, we wouldn't have gotten all those people upset. But they didn't explain that well. They haven't explained to people that they don't tell the counties how much dosage they're getting till Friday. So we constantly take the heat for the poor rollout of the vaccines that the state's doing, let alone the fact that they decided they're going to vaccinate edu young educators ahead of senior citizens. Boggles my mind how poorly they've rolled out the vaccine distribution here. Meanwhile, I have friends in other states that are, have gotten their vaccines that are only a few years older than me, which puts them around 70. I have two friends in Texas that are both right around 70 years old that have both been vaccinated. I also have a friend that lives in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, and they're starting to work on 65-year-olds and up. They've already worked down the 80s and 70s in Tennessee. Why? Because they didn't put educators ahead of the seniors. So if that's not bad enough that we can't run our vaccination program based on the data we have and the, and the science we have behind who suffers the worst from this disease and who we need to protect the most, we can't run our prevention programs on the same basis either. We have 12 months worth of data now of where transmissions are happening and how they're happening in this state. And we have that for around the country too. And one of the things that we know of in this state is there has not been an outbreak tied to a gymnasium or fitness center. But they're closed in these extreme risk counties. There hasn't been significant transmissions through restaurants but we can't sit in a restaurant in Lane County because we're under extreme risk. Almost no transmissions there. Yet we have a large organization still open in this county whose population of students and staff equal about six-tenths of a percent of Lane County's population yet they are responsible for over 13% of the cases in Lane County since this started. And more recently, they were responsible for way more than that. In fact, if you took the cases associated with this organization away, Lane County would not be in the extreme risk. We would be in the high risk. So, would you think maybe before you damage the small businesses, those small gyms and restaurants, that you might want to think about this one organization that seems to be operating and causing a lot of transmissions in the community? Well, guess what? Government-run entity called the University of Oregon. And the professors and staff there are members of unions public employee unions like SEIU, the staff is, and, and you know, the, the faculty associations, all that, and guess who they contribute money to when it comes time for people to run for office. So the University of Oregon stays open. Their numbers get lumped in with everybody else in Lane County, and they've driven us into extreme risk in the last couple of weeks. We would have been out and down to high risk about two weeks ago without them. But with all the students moving back in, they've had a, an extreme spike in cases coming out of the university, over 300 in the last 14 days. 
Without those, we would be in, in, in high risk, and you could actually sit down in a restaurant right now. Gyms might be open more than the, the, than the measly thing that the governor did recently to try and get them open. None of them were open because under that, that quote, you know, scenario, none of them can make money. Um, it's, you know, you would think, shut that down. But no, those people keep going. You know, I heard an interesting piece of news today. Over the last year in 2020, only one group has seen a significant increase in wages over the last year in Oregon. Guess who? Government employees. You got it over $2 an hour increase average for government employees. Private sector is like 25 cents. So uh, it just amazes me some of the logic around this, how they how they've rolled this stuff out. You know, yet you know you can go play video lottery now. They they reopen video video lottery machines. You can't buy a drink or eat while you're doing the video lottery, but you can go play video lottery if you want. They've never shut down. You know, liquor stores, they've never shut down the pot shops. You know, why? Because the state makes money off of those. So if you're a union that contributes to our governor's campaign, or if you're a source of revenue for the state, you're allowed to stay open no matter how many cases are involved. And you also get put ahead in the line for a vaccine. It just, it, I, I'm, it boggles my mind that small businesses in Florence, an hour away from the University of Oregon, over an hour, get closed down because of the numbers of cases the University of Oregon is contributing to our, quote, county case count that drives us into, quote, extreme risk. I wrote a note to the governor's staff person on on COVID and asked to have us looked at without the university numbers and to have our risk level based on not having the university involved. She wrote a little note back saying, oh, that's an interesting idea. We'll, we'll look into it. I don't know if it's gonna go anywhere but uh, if it does, I'll take a lot of this back that they're finally starting to think a little bit. But it's like, why you guys are public health professionals, supposedly at OHA, or at least you have staff that's public health professionals. Why would you leave open an organization that has a, such a small percentage of the population responsible for, for such a big percentage of cases? six-tenths of a percent responsible for over 13% of the cases. How could you leave that open? You know, if you're wondering why Lane County ends up in extreme risk, and I I don't know the numbers for OSU in Benton County, but I imagine it, it could be even worse because they're a much smaller population county where OSU could, could swing, you know, be the, you know, tail that wags the dog, so to speak, there, which is what's happening with U of O here in or in Lane County. Such a small piece of our population is, is causing small businesses to go out of business right now. I hope you're proud, everyone at the university and everyone at OHA and everyone in the governor's office that makes those kind of decisions. I mean, as much as people blamed the, the past administration for mishandling COVID, we at least have vaccines available now in less than a year. Everyone swore it was going to be at least two years to get to a vaccine. So, you know, if all of that's not bad enough about how unscientific and undata-driven we've handled COVID in the state of Oregon. 
You know those relief checks that you got, you know, from the the two stimulus packages, that $1,200 and the $600 one? April 15th coming up, they're not taxable on your federal form, but that's going to be taxable on your Oregon form. The state of Oregon has decided they are going to tax your relief checks. So now, mind you, that federal money is tax dollars. So, you know, I, you know, you make a certain amount of money and the federal government takes a percentage of it away from you. And then they turn around and send some of it back to you. And the state says, you know what? I want some of that. Do you think we're getting taxed more than once on the same dollar? Do you think I deserve to be on a rant about this, maybe? Do you think there's a reason, you know, I might be a little bit upset? Because I've watched, you know, these punishing closures cause businesses to go out of business, people to lose jobs. And who knows what's going to happen once they eventually have to lift the eviction moratorium around this. You know, because there's a lot of people that are behind on their rent and their, and their mortgage payments because they've either had hours cut or completely lost the job because we decided to close small businesses up. Ah. So if that's not bad enough, we can, we got a whole other subject I want to go on a rant about here in a minute. But I'm going to take a deep breath, a calming, cleansing breath, and try and calm down a little bit, get my heart rate down. <sighs> kind of like, you know, you know, when you're doing the post-ride stretch on your Peloton and they're trying to get you to breathe deep. <sighs> Relax. And you can change the subject if you give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show with your host, myself, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And... I've got a new rant. We'll leave COVID alone for a few minutes, although it might come up a little bit in this rant because there's one bill in particular that that kind of relates to it. But I am just appalled at, you know, the, the acceptance in the last several months of the idea that government should be taking freedoms away from individuals because we're incapable of making choices ourselves, particularly as consenting adults. I mean, my libertarian sensibilities are just fraying at the edges as I watch some of this, what's going on at the local level, even at Lane County government level, at the state government level, and at the federal level. Everywhere you turn, it seems like government wants to take control of your decision-making and make those decisions for you and centralize the control of those decisions in some way and centralize everything. And it gets to, it's starting to sound like communist China. You know, you can't choose to do things. Let's just take the simple thing we talked about last week on the Bose Nose Show. The city of Eugene wants to take away, you know, on the basis on a, on a false premise that they're going to reduce their carbon footprint, your choice of whether you want to heat your home with gas or electricity, or your hot water with gas or electricity. They're going to force you in the future. If they get there, if some of the folks there get their way, I can't say that they're all this way because I'm pretty sure that, that at least Councillor Clark is on my side with this. They want to ban new natural gas and petroleum infrastructure from the city. 
so that as if the new subdivision gets built and people are building houses there, they won't be able to have the choice of heating their home with gas. You'll only have the choice of electric. And we talked about how that actually has a higher carbon footprint during that morning peak winter heating season. But, you know, government knows best. You can't make that decision as, as an individual property owner. They got to make it for you because you might make the wrong one. They know better. Centralized control. Whatever happened to individual freedoms? Of course, you know, our new president, through executive order, basically made it so that anyone with a Y chromosome, if they so choose, can compete in women's sports. So they're, they're okay with that sort of decision-making and freedom. But they're not okay with you choosing to have an efficient gas home heating system and an extremely efficient you know, gas instantaneous water heater. I mean, that is, I can't tell you how much more efficient than electric tank water heaters those are because you're not constantly keeping water hot all night long and all day long for the one time you turn on the shower or something like that. It only heats when you want on demand hot water with, with gas fired is the most efficient way of heating hot water for domestic use. And it's almost, it's also one of the most efficient ways for doing it for industrial use in a lot of ways, but we're going to take that away in the name of climate change because they're they're misguided, don't understand our electric grid and what peaking happens in the electric grid. We talked about that last week, but that's you know locally here we got the city of Virginia wants to take that choice away from you. Get up to the county level, and we've talked about this in the past. You know, we passed the new floodplain ordinance because certain members of our board, like the East Lane County Commissioner Heather Buck, decide that you, as a property owner, cannot decide how much risk you're willing to accept relative to floods. We're going to dictate to you that risk level because we already require you to build a foot above the 100-year flood elevation. But no, that's too much risk. You know, we can't let you accept that. We have to dictate to you that you're going to have to build two feet above the 100-year flood elevation. You know, People could do that by choice if they wanted to, or they could accept the risk of only being a foot above, but you can't make that decision because you're too stupid. Heather Buck's going to make that decision for you. Taking away individual freedoms of choice because you as a consenting adult are smart enough and we're the, from the government and we're here to help you. Kind of like the COVID thing. And then we can get to the state level and how willing they are, people are to, to put forth ideas that take away your individual freedoms. And probably one of the most glaring examples of that recently was a bill, House Bill 2348, that local representative Marty Wildey, that represents one of the most gerrymandered districts I've ever seen on a map because it's shaped like a C and has University of Oregon in it and Shed, Oregon in Lynn County in the same district and wraps all the way around the outside of the city of Springfield and all that stuff to get there. You know, can you say, you know, intentionally trying to water down rural conservative voters with that university district? Yeah, maybe. But that's beside the point. Representative Wieldy is not a, a dumb person. I mean, the guy has got a degree in law. And he actually serves our country in the National Guard. But I don't know where his concept of freedom comes from because he put this bill forward that would have required private institutions in the forms of group homes and nursing homes, long-term care facilities, 
along with hospitals that are privately owned and in publicly owned prison system would have required them to provide vegetable-based meal options in their menus. Okay, that's not too bad, you know, but along with that was a ban on their ability to serve bacon, ham, or even biscuits and gravy with sausage gravy because it had a had a ban on preserved meats and and in that bill. Now, mind you, you know, my father-in-law is in a nursing home. And, his, you know, as you get old, sometimes your life gets really narrow and 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 closes in on you because of your lack of mobility and, and lack of being able to get out in the world. And you know something? Meals become really important. And a 96-year-old World War II veteran you know, who fought at the Rapido River, the breakout of Anzio, D-Day Southern France, liberated a concentration camp. If he wants to have bacon, damn it, he should be allowed to have bacon. But Marty Wildey doesn't want to allow him to have that choice because he knows better. and put forward a bill that would have taken the choice away from seniors in a buffet line to choose that sort of food. Can you imagine what Easter would be like if you didn't have ham at senior home? I can just see the riot now as they're taking their walkers and trying to crash through the door with them <laughs> of the kitchen, you know. It, it you know, let alone this applied to the prison system too. Can you imagine no biscuits and gravy, or at least sauce, you know, gravy with no sausage in it? When that morning comes around in the state prison system and they skip that over that, I bet the prisoners are going to be happy. Hope most of the guards decided calling sick that day. But you know, government knows best. They can ban you just because you happen to be forced to be in one of these institutions. And, and a lot of those institutions are privately owned, privately run institutions, but we're going to dictate to them what food they're allowed to serve and take bacon away from grandpa. But, you know, Marty wasn't done there. He put forward another bill and I don't have the number in front of me, but it was another House bill that would have provided the governor the ability to take private property during an emergency without compensation to the property owner. Now, right now under Oregon law, you can take property in an emergency, but you need to compensate the property owner. Like if you decide you have to have a piece of property to park a bunch of fire equipment on during a wildfire, you can take that property in that emergency, but you eventually are going to have to compensate the property owner for the use of that property. And particularly if you take it permanently for some reason. That's state law right now. What Marty wanted to try and do was make it so the governor would not have to do the compensation part. And in fact, it was so broadly written, it would have allowed her basically to take private businesses and make them public. Almost like the nationalization of private businesses in countries like Venezuela. I'm sorry, but I, I that's not a country I really imagine living in, you know, has anyone taught, you know, since I got out of, you know, high school and college, you know, the parts of the Constitution where we were, you know, really trying to protect individual freedoms? Government knows best. And take your bacon away. We're going to take your property away. And not only that, we're also, there's a Senate bill out there that would take local control away from school districts and not allow them to contract with, you know, the sheriff's department or the local p 
Police Department to provide a school resource officer. And, you know, this comes from the whole, you know, anti-police movement. But it would take local control away from, from the local school districts and basically have a statewide ban on school resource officers. Well, you know what? I was really happy there were school resource officers there when that gentleman came to interfere with the custody rights of his daughter and his, and his ex-wife and brought a firearm with him and actually opened fire at a school here in Eugene. The school resource officers that were there dealt with that. School resource officers are something that actually creates the community connection between police and the people. Kids learn that, you know, they're not something to be feared, that they're actually this, you know, nice guy that hangs around the school they can talk to if they want to. And, and you'd be amazed. I've talked to people that have, you know, people that have worked as school resource officers and they solve a lot of crimes sometimes before they even happen because the kids will come tell them about stuff that's going on. Stuff that their parents might be doing, stuff that a friend's doing, you know, that they build a certain amount of trust and a lot of criminal activity doesn't even happen because they, 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 they get to it early. And they, they, they get to be also a connection for some families to social services because they see the kid having the problem, talk with the kid and find out it's really not kid it's something happening at home and you know there needs to be some connection to social services school resource officers are a good thing yet senate bill 238 would take away the ability of your local school board to make that choice they already took away the budget from local school boards you know they made this centralized state budgeting where they do equalization and, and the state collects up all of local property taxes and redistributes them back to the school boards to to run you know so there's they've already taken a lot of local control away from school boards now they're even going to take whether they can have a school resource officer centralization anti-freedom just see it over and over again and then there's a proposal now for a national minimum wage and, and this goes along with something, in, you know, here in Lane County, you know, where we're promoting this whole idea of a community benefits uh, contracting uh, model. If you're a consenting adult, you should have the ability to negotiate your compensation with your employer without the government stepping in and telling your employer either how much an hour they have to pay you or what kind of benefits they have to provide you because you know what you want as the employee. And right now there's this push, you know, for a minimum wage, which generally means what you're doing is establishing the minimum value of labor to be employed, which means it usually causes people with low skills and that are younger to become unemployed when you raise the minimum wage. Now, in a good economy, the minimum wage generally doesn't matter. Very few people pay the minimum wage when there's 4% unemployment because in order to get employees, you got to offer more. That's what we should be striving for is things that make our economy roll to where we don't have to worry about a minimum wage. But there's people out there that feel like you don't have the ability to negotiate your own wages with your employer. They want to dictate what you're allowed to earn. They want to dictate what benefits you get. Things they're trying to force through some of these prevailing wage and community benefits agreements is that employers in order to, to get contracts from the government should have to provide entirely employer paid family health benefits. In other words, no cost sharing with the employees, no co-pays, you know, no, no, you know, 
no premium at all shared, and no ability to differentiate between the single guy in his 20s who only needs a policy to cover himself and some you know, mid-30s that has a wife and several young children that needs a policy to cover all of them and the differential in the price between the two. And that doesn't allow that guy in his 20s to say, you know what, I'd rather have some of my compensation in actual dollars per hour and I don't really care about having full family coverage because I only need single coverage. But under that model where you're going to dictate to employers what they're going to provide, that that single guy in his 20s is going to be subsidizing and earning less because the employer is having to provide that full pay, fully paid family plan for the guy in his 30s with a wife and kids who need the coverage. But you're not smart enough to be able to negotiate that stuff with your employer. You know, you're, you're not a consenting adult. You know, they, they want to give you the freedom to shoot up heroin in individual amounts anywhere you want in the state of Oregon and only get slapped on the wrist with a ticket and supposedly a fine, which I haven't seen very many addicts go into court and pay their fines. You know, that sort of freedom seems to be okay. And 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 you can continue your 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 habits as a, an addict. You have the freedom to be an addict in this state, but you don't have the freedom to pick bacon if you're a senior. Yeah. You know, where is where are we going? You know, where does it end? It can take away the choice of school districts and how they who they want to employ, how they want to contract, how they want to run their schools. When does the federal government start taking that away from the states? When does everything end up so centrally planned that we end up like, you know, the Soviet Union with their five year plans and how how badly they failed their people and the starvation that came with that failed central planning. Same things that happened in China. You know, they, they did massively bad things under the guise of central planning. You know, as far as the you know failed crop, it's because they, they did such a poor job planning the agriculture, you know, to displacing you know, all sorts of people and minorities uh, as they chose to, you know, dam a river or do whatever because it was for the good of the whole. And we know best because we're the central government. But, of course, it always means that, you know, just like an animal farm, not all animals are equal. If you're John Kerry and you're the climate sorry you still are allowed to have a private jet and fly around with a huge carbon footprint because you're more equal than some of the other animals. But you're promoting centralized planning of our economy through carbon controls. Redistribution of wealth through those programs. All sorts of, you know, anti-freedom initiatives. What we should be striving for is maximizing freedoms. Because when we maximize freedoms, the economy goes better. The invisible hand makes things happen much better. Government never does a good job of allocating capital. But we keep wanting more to go through the government. We have to get away from this desire to have government take our choices away because we might make a bad choice. People should be allowed to make some bad choices. We seem to understand that when it comes to illegal drugs. We seem to understand that when it came to marijuana in this state and how we legalized it. 
We understand it when it comes to gambling and the lottery. We understand it when it comes to liquor. We just can't seem to understand it when it comes to other things like bacon, whether we want to accept a certain amount of risk of being flooded on our property. You know, it just amazes me how anti-freedom some of us have become. Are we that scared of the fact of our own, of having to take responsibility and accountability for our own decisions? I can't say I've, I've made great decisions throughout my entire life. God, if I had, I'd be a millionaire by now because I should have been putting 20 bucks a month away from my 20s. But I didn't. I spent it. You know, I moved from jobs sooner than I probably should have. I switched houses when I probably shouldn't have at times. You know, in fact, I, I even had to sell one house where I had to bring money to the table because it had actually decreased in value. You don't always make good decisions. But I bore the responsibility of the decisions I made. And ask the government to. I didn't ask the government to come to the settlement table for that house and bail me out. So I've got a few minutes left here on the Bose Nose Show, and uh, we've run through a few topics here. Talked a lot about COVID. Talked a little bit about freedoms. You know, I think it's time to talk about what you want to talk about. So give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get on the conversation. If not, I'm going to ramble on about a few things that went on in the county lately. But 646-721-9887, just press one so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get on the conversation. So um, I want to mention this quickly because it's kind of an important thing. And it's a piece of history I was actually vaguely aware of, but not totally aware of the full details and just um, how onerous this piece of history is in Lane County. You know, Oregon, you know, as as enlightened and, and um, liberal as we are now, founded mostly by Southerners that, that moved out here along the Oregon Trail and they brought with them some of the values of the South at that time, which weren't very enlightened when it came to African-Americans and black people, mulattoes, as they referred to them then. And they actually put it in the state constitution that you, know, that you couldn't be a free black or mulatto and immigrate to this state once the constitution was adopted. You know, that that's the history of Oregon that has this past issue with racism. And it actually exhibited itself here in Lane County at one point. Um, you know, during World War II, um, pre-World War II, there was a very small black population in Oregon. During World War II, uh, the shipyards in Portland and Vancouver drew a significant black population in to build ships because a lot of the rest of the male population in Oregon had been shipped overseas to fight. That population post-World War II, when those jobs went away, distributed out amongst around the, the Northwest region and um, Lane County gained some uh, a, a small minority population and at that time, there were things called sundowner laws where it was illegal to be inside the city limits if you were black or mulatto um, after sundown. So black neighborhoods were generally built just outside of cities and usually not in very good places like very swampy areas and stuff where people didn't really you know, value the land anyway. And a black neighborhood was set up and the Eugene area in Lane County, outside city limits, uh, about where um, you know Club Drive is uh, coming up against Alton Baker Park at the foot of the Ferry Street Bridge. In fact, the neighborhood was called Ferry Street. 
and um, the county commissioners at that time wanted to improve the bridge in the riverfront and got a court order to move part of that neighborhood out of there and executed that court order with very little warning and went well beyond the limits of the court order and basically bulldozed the entire town. And with almost no notice, people barely, you know, got out with, you know, what they could carry. And uh, it's just a, a really bad moment in Lane County history. And yesterday, the Board of Commissioners approved a resolution acknowledging that and, and basically apologizing for the past actions of the board, because it's important we, we remember things like that. It's one of the reasons why when you know, Lynn Davenport, who I've spoken about here on this, this show, why I got him around to speak about his service, particularly to younger groups, of, you know, high school history classes, was because his story of his service in World War II, you know, would, would grab those kids because he's talking about the battles and, 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 and the difficulties and everything else of, of, of that, but it ends with the liberation of a concentration camp in southern Germany. And his description of the bodies stacked like cordwood of the skeletons of people coming up and not asking for food first, but cigarettes, believe it or not. And then his story about, because it was one of the very first concentration camps to be liberated, General Eisenhower came to tour it, and he saw Eisenhower break down sobbing and in tears. And that kind of end to the story is so impactful for young kids because we have to remember things like this. We have to remember what we're capable of, of as human beings at times. And, the, and the, the bad that can come to us with groupthink, some of the, oh, too much power centralized in a, in a government, and what it can do to people that don't control that power. Now, we don't hold the German people responsible for the Holocaust. Most of them weren't even born. A lot of them have immigrated into Germany since then. Just like I don't hold the Japanese people responsible for what happened in Korea and other countries during World War II and the atrocities there, but we shouldn't forget about those. We shouldn't forget that in Lane County, at one point, Somebody got on a bulldozer on behalf of the county and bulldozed an entire town of over 100 residents. Day in Lane County history, way back in 1949. Not many of us are left alive that were living at that time, particularly as adults that were decision makers. People like myself didn't live in Lane County until 1993 or you know, later. You can't blame us for that, but we should not forget. So I hear the music, which means Robin needs to run. <laughs> but with that, that such uplifting note at the end, but I just want to say there's so much good we can do if we remember to promote individual freedom, make decisions based on data and science, Remember our past and move forward so we don't repeat it. I want to thank everybody for listening to Bo's No Shade show today. We'll be back next week, Wednesday at 4 o'clock, live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.